Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. We've got a birth story for you. Um, Real quick before we hop into that, as always, ways you can connect with us, listen to the podcast, so on and so forth. Um, We appreciate you all so, so much, really, truly, from the bottom of our hearts, just for all the support from the beginning. If you've been here since then, or if this is your first episode, or if you just hopped on recently and you've been binging, just know that we love you and appreciate you. And we want to hear from you, um, your comments, your questions, your um, suggestions for episodes and things you want to hear, um, you can reach out to us on our Instagram, D-I-A-H podcast. You can go to our website, diahpodcast.com, connect with us there. I have links to that in the show notes for you. Um, and then also the shop, the store where you can buy your doing it at home gear, your tanks, your shirts, your sweatshirts, your long sleeves, your sweatshirts. Did I say sweatshirts? All the sweatshirts, many, many sweatshirts. I've been cold recently, so maybe that's why I've got sweatshirts on the brain. Um, but the shop link is in the show notes as well. And then it's also from our website. So you can link to it from there. And then make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. You can listen to the podcast on the Parents On Demand app. So Parents On Demand is the network that we are a part of amongst many other amazing shows. But You can go to parentsondemand.com or you can download the app on your Android, Android, Android or your iPhone. So there you go. There you have it. Okay, our birth story today, we're chatting with Allison Rich. And what I love about this story is it's super empowering and inspiring for anyone, but it's a particularly must-listen episode for anyone nervous about hospital transfer or for anyone who experienced one and could use some extra support and affirmation as you process and move through that. Um because a lot of times the word failure comes up around really any birth that doesn't go the way that we planned it, but then particularly with a home birth transfer to the hospital, that word comes up. And it's about eliminating that word. It's about removing that conversation. And um, Allison is a part of that, and I love that. Um, After a false diagnosis of PCOS and then a medically mismanaged miscarriage, she was really interested in experiencing something different the next time she became pregnant. And so she and her husband, Rafe, went for a home birth. And so we talk with Allison about that planning process and then uh, what 
what it came down to when the, as she describes it, incredible blur that was birth, what it looked like when the option to transfer to the hospital was presented and how she moved through that and how she has contextualized that in the grand scheme of how she looks at her birth and entry to motherhood. And it's really beautiful. It's really um, candid and vulnerable. And we're just so grateful to her. Here it is. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Hi, Allison. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you guys so much for chatting with me. Yeah, thank you for carving out some time to come hang out with us. We're really excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. So kick us off with telling us a little bit about you, Allison. Sure. Um, So I live with uh, my husband, Rafe. We live in um, Baltimore County, just outside of Baltimore City in Maryland. And... um, uh, I work down at um, a cancer center in the city. I work in fundraising. My husband is an educator. He works for Baltimore County Public Schools. And, um, you know, we're just kind of living life. Nothing terribly unique and exciting about us, but doing our thing. <laughs> <laughs> doing your thing. I love it. And then you've got a, you've got a few things going on, though, like... um a baby yeah. that's uh <laughs> yeah there's that wow um, yeah that's been keeping us on our toes yeah i bet i bet so why don't we take a few steps back then and can you take us back to when you were planning your family um you and rafe and what those conversations were like and what you kind of saw for yourself in terms of birth and pregnancy yeah absolutely so um uh Going way back, I had actually, um, when I was in my early 20s, um, been erroneously diagnosed with PCOS. Um, It turns out that it's actually not something that I had, but I unfortunately had like a really scary experience with um, an OBGYN who um, kind of wrongfully not only diagnosed me, but told me that the likelihood that I would be able to even get pregnant pregnant was slim, um, which I now know is not necessarily true for women who do have PCOS. But at the time, it was as like, a, I think I was 20 years old, it was terrifying. Can you uh, and can you share what PCOS is? Sure. Um, yeah, it's polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay. And um, I'm by no means an expert, but it essentially is kind of like a cascade of issues, um, hormonally speaking, and then structurally speaking with cysts on your ovaries, and it can prevent ovulation and kind of the hormonal cocktail isn't always necessarily great for um, maintaining a pregnancy. Um, But so I spent years and the first several years of my relationship with my now husband kind of convinced, I I think I convinced myself, well, if I can't have kids, maybe I don't want kids. We'll travel. We'll do all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Um, But then as I sort of 
got myself in a mindset that I needed to address the the realities there and not just run away from them. I realized that um, kids were something that I did want. They were something that my husband had always wanted and I think was just kind of willing to table for my sake. Um, but having had that experience with the OBGYN, I was not feeling terribly trustful of um, of that sort of medical mentality. So for me, when we decided it was time to to really start considering starting a family seriously, I always was on board with the idea of a home birth. I knew I wanted to go that route. I liked the midwifery model and I was fully sold from the get-go. My husband, not so much. Oh, yeah. um, what were his I thoughts? I think he told he. When I told him that, he kind of looked at me like, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> um, and we'll start doing open heart surgery at home too, cool. <laughs> um, and uh, so when we um, did get pregnant the first time, I was totally thinking we're going to meet these midwives and it's going to be great. And he was totally thinking we're going to meet these midwives and she's going to change her mind and it's going to be great. Um. But then obviously our, that first pregnancy, as you guys know, took a, a different turn and was not a full-term pregnancy. So some things changed there as well. Yeah. So if you don't mind going into that a little bit, what point of pregnancy you were in and what started happening and then kind of how you moved through the experience? Yeah. So um, I um, had found out that I was pregnant in... June. So I guess this is June 2017 at this point. And um, when I was about seven weeks along, I had started having some really heavy and just odd bleeding. And so we, in a total panic, ended up in the emergency department at our local hospital and they did blood work. They um, they actually have hospital-based midwives at that particular institution, and they had one of those midwives do a physical exam, and they couldn't find anything amiss. They said sometimes bleeding just happens. Go home, see what plays out. Um, so we did. seemed like everything had stopped. We were feeling a little bit more confident, and then the bleeding started again. We ended up back in the hospital, at which point with an ultrasound, they diagnosed that I had a very substantial subchorionic hematoma, um, which from what I understand is essentially when um, the fetus implants there, it could implant into like a blood vessel or just a generally more vascular area, you get this bleeding, and then that bleeding forms a clot. And sometimes it's not a problem at all. There are women who carry perfectly healthy to term pregnancies with these hematomas, but in my case, it was really substantial. Mm. Um, so we got sent home with a currently, you know, we saw. Um, we were able to see a heartbeat, all of that stuff. At that point, everything was cautiously okay. We got sent home with a let's wait a couple weeks and um, 
when we went back for that second ultrasound, the hematoma was just growing and the um, fetus had stopped growing. So at that point, it's now officially considered a miscarriage, obviously. And that's where things kind of went off the rails. Um, so the, the hospitalist who did that second scan told us, you know, you can go home and let nature take its course and let everything miscarry naturally. Um, or we can get involved medically. And that was what she recommended out of concern that I could have hemorrhaging because of the size of the hematoma. Mm. In hindsight, that wasn't really the possibility that she necessarily made it out to be. Um, Mm. Having a hematoma doesn't really put you more at risk for a hemorrhage. It's like a different mechanism that bleeding's already happened. Um, But, you know, it was this, super emotional day. We were scared. I had already been having bleeding for a little while at this point. And so he said, okay, let's do whatever you recommend, um, which in this case was a DNC, um, which I didn't feel great about, but thought, you know, if it's the safest thing, it's the safest thing. Well, unfortunately, it was not a successful procedure in my case. So then that turned into a, let's try some other medication options. It just snowballed into this weeks-long process. And it kind of, the tone of the entire thing was not necessarily supportive of the fact that this is something that a lot of women face. Yeah. This is something that a lot of women's bodies are perfectly capable of dealing with on their own as heartbreaking as it is. It was more so, well, obviously you got pregnant and it didn't work. So something's broken and good thing we're here to fix it for you. Yeah. And, um, it, was just so drawn out. There were so many points along the way where it was like, okay, well, we're monitoring your hormones. If they're not down low enough, we're going to do another procedure. We're going to try another medication. It was just very medically aggressive and more emotionally difficult and physically difficult than I believe it ever needed to be. And there were points where my husband and I sat down and we're like, what is what is happening here? Like, is this, is this malpractice? Is this, how, how has this gone so terribly wrong? Like, how did we make one choice and it snowballed into needing 15 other interventions? And we sort of realized, you know, this didn't have, these doctors weren't approaching this with any sort of malice. This isn't malpractice. This is just a system that doesn't inherently trust the female body. And, by the time we had sort of waited completely through that process, we were both so mistrustful of ever setting foot in another obstetric unit ever again and just really scared that, you know, maybe my body wasn't able to get and stay pregnant. Maybe that OB years ago had been right. Maybe something is wrong. And, So we had decided at the conclusion of all that, that even though I was no longer pregnant, we were going to meet with some home birth midwives and just sort of 
debrief everything with them, mm-hmm. see what they would have done if we had been in their care, and see what the process would look like if I were to get pregnant again and we we decided to become clients of a home birth practice. So that's what we did. Wow. That's really interesting. I find that noteworthy that you met with midwives, you know, coming out of that experience to process and to ask questions and to kind of go through it and then not being pregnant yet still having a conversation with these women about potential care, about what your options were. I just find that so cool for lack of a more eloquent word, um, just because of what I feel like it it opens up as far as women's options, that you can go speak to men, midwives, many, many that I know of at least, when you're not pregnant, you know, to just talk yeah. out your options and your plans and start really setting down intentions for whenever you choose to or whenever it does happen. But I don't hear of that happening a whole lot in, you know, other systems, I'll just say. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and it was, it was an amazing experience and I was so grateful that we did it. And I'll never forget one of the, um, one of the midwives, it was a a partnership. And I remember glancing up at the clock while we were talking to them and saying, like, I'm sure we've way overstayed the time you scheduled for us. Like, please, if we need to go, just tell me. And she looked right at me and she took my hand. She was sitting right across from me and she said, this is really important. And it just, I remember looking over at my husband being like, all I'm talking about is like how I feel about something and how different was that response to what we had experienced in the more mainstream obstetric practices where it was kind of, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. Okay. Are you fine with it? Good. Next. And not to say that those doctors do not have positive intentions and care deeply about what they do. I think it's just the model doesn't allow for that sort of opportunity to recognize that these are medical processes or physical processes. I don't even know medical is the right word, but they're happening uh. in human bodies and bodies process emotions and they process pain and, it's a bigger picture and the midwives recognize that inherently. And when we walked out of our meeting with them, my husband who had been so unsure about home birth before looked at me when we got to the car and he's like, if, if we get pregnant again and we don't go with them, I'm going to be unhappy. (laughs) Like this is who we need to be with. And it felt, certain for the first time in in several months of uncertainty which was incredible oh that's beautiful that's awesome so then what was it like when you found out you were pregnant again so i actually ended up pregnant again really pretty quickly in the grand scheme of things it was just a few months later and um so the miscarriage had happened in july slash through all of august slash into September. Mm. And um, in early November, I found out that I was pregnant and was 
immediately excited and terrified and um, called the mid-eyes up right away and knowing what the, the context was for us, they had us come in immediately not to do anything. You know, there's nothing to be done at, what, five, six weeks pregnant, but just to sort of talk and make sure that that line of communication was fully open if we needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we needed it, but for not, not anywhere near the same type of reasons as, as in that prior pregnancy, this pregnancy besides some pretty intense um, sickness that lasted, I, I think almost 20 some weeks, um, everything was going, you know, textbook for lack of a better word on, you know, on paper, but emotionally it was just such a different journey because it was colored by the previous experience and they were totally available at any time of day when some question popped up or some fear reared its head. We, um, we're fortunate enough to be with a group and this might be typical for a lot of midwives. I don't know, but we could, um, text them or, um, you know, ask if we could give a call whenever they had a minute or whatnot. And they were always really quick to, to help reassure and guide us and offer some wisdom when we were just totally freaking out. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. And you, you said, you know, excited and terrified. Those are two very interesting, you know, emotions to be mingling together with, I'm sure, a number of other emotions. But, you know, you just highlighted those. Um, That's a lot. That's a lot of up and down. That's a lot of a lot can come out of those two things blending together. So um, I I can speak for us. We had that um, kind of open door policy as well, you know, checking in or I was even texting my midwife after like weeks after Maya arrived. Random oh, questions. Totally. So yeah, that, that, um, support is huge. And just the space, I think for processing yeah. that, that model makes available, like they're, The the way that I had pictured pregnancy being, which I guess was this kind of perhaps naive, like I'm going to feel like this earth goddess and I'm going to do my yoga and I'm going to drink my green smoothies and it's going to be this amazing centering experience, <laughs> which is totally not what happened for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think, you know, for some women, maybe that is totally what happened. Right, right. But, um, you know, the the first time, obviously, the, the pregnancy ended early. And then the second time around, I was just kind of spending a lot of time bonding with the toilet. And it was not yoga and sunshine and daisies like I imagined it would be. But I felt like I could voice that with right. the midwives. Yeah. Um, and, and they would they were totally reassuring and supportive. And I think their openness to the fact that birth takes birth and pregnancy takes so many different forms was just so reassuring to us that it doesn't need to go quote unquote textbook to be going well. Right. 
Yeah. So can you go into those last few days of pregnancy? Because there was a kind of like a coming down to the wire feeling, I imagine, <laughs> around around that time. Yeah. So um, uh, our due date, which we had never put that much stock in anyway, but our technical due date had been July 17th, which we only even committed committed to memory because weirdly enough, that was actually the day that we had confirmed the loss of our prior pregnancy. Wow. wow. So it was kind of like this weird full circle feeling. <sighs> yeah. But the 17th came and went. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, we were getting up on the 42-week mark, which the our midwives were totally not concerned about in terms of any you know on like the complications or health concerns side but unfortunately in the state of Maryland you it is prohibited for home birth to take place after 42 weeks mm-hmm. um so because of again our prior experience I was terrified at yeah. the concept of having to end up in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And that fear was just compounding and compounding with each day that passed. And our midwives were so reassuring and so encouraging that statistically that's not a huge likelihood. A lot of people don't go past 42 weeks. And here we are at like 41 weeks and six days or something. And so we decided to try castor oil to just see if we could get things sort of moving along. And um, that was on a Sunday. So we were two days shy of 42 weeks, I think, at that point. And took the castor oil. And that was terrible. (laughs) But... um, I think of all of the pregnancy experiences, like being sick, being in labor for what would turn into four days, all of that stuff. I could do that again. I don't know if I could do the castor oil again. Wow. So what's so terrible about it? I've only heard a few accounts and ranging from women who kind of just did it on their own and not really with the help of, of midwife or whatever and kind of regretted that and then some a little bit more monitored. But what's so, in your opinion, like bad about it? <laughs> I think, like, obviously, it. I mean, it causes gastric cramping. That's right, not fun. It's right. Like, but that, I mean, that if you've survived food poisoning or something, which I guess most people have, that's not the end of the world. Yeah, but, but you don't want to do that while you're in labor. Like, I want my food <laughs> no. poisoning far away from when I may have a baby. Like, <laughs> True. But, oh, so like, for I me, can... it was just, like, getting it down okay. was so hard and what does it taste like i know what what does it taste like it tastes like uh i don't know death um (laughs) (laughs) it's it's the like the consistency of it is so like thick it like reminded me of something like i don't know like motor oil kind of consistency like that gloopy yeah and our our midwives had because of the fact that we were so close to the 42 weeks they're like we really don't want to have to do this 
a second time. Right. And if we go light the first time, it might not be effective. Ooh. So like, let's so really do the thing. And so we had to, I had to drink the first round, which I think was two ounces that I might be misremembering. And then a second round, like an hour or two later. Okay. And by the second round, my body, like just looking at the cup was like, yeah, can't do it. Yeah. Um, all right. But we did it. Yep. Yep. So that's good time. And um, that did kickstart labor. So by that, like before dinner time, we I drank it in the morning. And by dinner time, things were definitely happening. And um, sort of spent that night just sort of quietly working through some contractions, which started pretty close together right from the get-go. I think they started at five minutes. And I sort of realized, like, a little bit hazily that I was feeling them a lot in my back, but I thought maybe that was just going to be normal for me or it was normal, like, early on. I don't really know. And then as things progressed into Monday, it was very, very clear that it was full-on back labor. Mm. And uh, yeah, I feel like that's back labor has become kind of like this weird, like almost like a dirty word during like preparing for especially a home birth or a natural birth. Mm-hmm. Of like, if you like avoid back labor, you'll be fine. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, here I am with the thing that we hoped wouldn't happen, but okay. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. And so, and we were shocked by it because the day before I took the castor oil, he, when the midwife felt my belly, he was in prime position like one of the midwives had said like this is launch position like this is this is set to happen like we feel great about doing the castor oil induction Mm -hmm. things are good to go but I guess sometime in that 24 hours he had rotated so that his head was posterior okay and um we had discovered that at some point during the day on Monday and thus commenced doing all of the things to try to get him to go ahead and rotate, try to get the, not only the back labor to stop, but um, to just sort of get things moving along as quickly as possible. Cause we're still up against this 42 week mark. 
And um, then Monday was over and it's Tuesday and we're not really making that much progress, it seems. I'm still dealing with the back labor and we're still trying all the things, different positions and um, our midwives, I think, broke their rule a little bit for me of not using the birth tub until later on to kind of just give me a little bit of relief from the back labor. Mm. And um, it was just surreal. Like mm. it was, I, there was no sleeping in that time period because the contractions at that point were, I think, three minutes apart consistently. And it was just relentless. And I remember at one point kind of like coming in out of this haze and all of us are on our couch. It's me, it's my husband, it's our, both of the midwives. And one of them is like hand feeding me these weird little gummy bears that I had in the cabinet to try to keep my blood sugar up. And we're watching Anthony Bourdain on the TV and I'm just like, what even is happening? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, and, but it, it just, at that point, my midwives had offered to do um, uh, a cervical check, which is not typically something that they do, but just to see how things are moving along. Mm-hmm. And I think even after that point, three days, I was, six centimeters maybe and so we're kind of trying to figure out is there like anything else that we can really be trying and it started to become clear that the back labor was interfering not only with my ability to to rest at all but also to hold any of the positions to try to get him to turn Mm -hmm. um I was ending up with like muscle spasms in my back from just like the pressure, I guess, on my tailbone area from his head. It was just a lot of stuff going on. And um, so they always let me get back in the birth pool, try to just get a little bit of relief. And at that point, the question kind of got open of, do you want to keep trying to get him to turn at home, which we can totally do. Mm -hmm. Um, or do we need to, to talk about potentially transferring to get you some, some pain relief and see if we can get him to turn that way. Right. And in hindsight, the way that they approached it was so incredible and so unpressured. I remember my midwife coming into the room with the pool and asking me if I had any questions and I was asking her you know, a few things about what were the options for some pain relief? What would the hospital do differently? Is there anything more we could try at home? And then she just sort of quietly left the room and let me and Rafe, my husband, just sort of process through where we were and what we thought the next steps would be. And I remember being so hesitant to the idea of transferring because to me, it 
the my initial reaction to it was that feels like failure. Right. I've put so much planning and effort and care into ensuring that we could have this home birth experience for our baby. And if I don't see it through, then that's what have I done? Like I haven't accomplished what I set out to do. And what if we end up in a situation that's detrimental to him or whatever? And then I just sort of had this realization that having this baby isn't just about birth. Afterwards, we're going to have this baby. And if I go through, at that point, it was three nights without, three nights, three days without sleeping. Yeah. And if I do this, how much longer could I do this before I'm going to end up so exhausted that I can't be present when he's here? And my husband and I just kind of looked at each other and I just had this, this moment where I realized, like, this can't be about me right now. Mm. And this can't be, this can't be about like the, the fear I'm having or the shame sense of shame I'm feeling all these things. Like I can't put those on him. And if he needs more time to get himself turned and out, then I just need to do whatever I need to do to give him that. And maybe that means an epidural at this point. And so we made the decision to transfer and I think it was probably two or three in the morning um, on Wednesday at that point and having started everything on Sunday and got to the hospital, got an epidural um, and it took him an additional 24 hours to, to turn even be able, even with me now being able to, hold these positions for an extended period of time to give him the space to rotate. Um, so I'm not sure if I would have been able to give him all of that time at home. Um, I think it's not cool sure. just to note that you got that time in the hospital as well, that yeah. there wasn't, I mean, I think that speaks to the power of your team and the care that you did have there that you weren't rushed into anything or anything wasn't, you know, pushed in another direction. Yeah, especially coming out of three days of, mm-hmm. of you know, doing everything that you had done at home. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I know that that's not necessarily a translatable experience. Um, we were at a hospital that has um, uh, nurse midwives on staff. So I think they have a, and we were under the care of a nurse midwife because I was not even after three days in a place that they considered me high enough risk to put me with an OB, which I think totally contributed to us mm. having that time. Um, and my midwives, they were with me the whole time and they have a relationship with that hospital. So there was, I think, kind of a trust there that they weren't like, delivering me because to this hospital because I was having some sort of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was more of a trust to know, like, we're just here to access something that we can't provide at home. Yeah. Um, although I think it was totally amazing to note that all of the stuff that ultimately helped him turn besides the epidural, the midwives at home had already done right it was just the time factor so there was really like nothing that new 
Um, it was just like that one thing that the hospital could provide that we couldn't have at home. Mm. That's awesome. And um, you making that decision just to go back to that for a second, you know, that it's not about me, like leaving behind any ideas of this trophy or failure or success and just, just going with it, leaning into that. Um, that's, I think that's amazing. <laughs> I think I don't want to make it sound like it was just like super easy Zen decision though, yeah, because I yeah. still to this day, like yeah. six months out, I still have these moments where I will like all of a sudden just be doing something and think like, what if we had done this? What you. if this, like, yeah. could we have stayed at home? Um, but I think that yeah, at the end of the day, I, he just needed this this time for whatever reason mm-hmm. and he ultimately he was born in again that like launch position that we had thought he was in at the beginning okay um, and uh ha- we ended up having like a totally uncomplicated you know natural vaginal delivery with the exception of the the epidural um which i know some women love the epidural and I'm so grateful that it existed to give us this option. Um, but I really, really didn't like the epidural. Um, so it was not, I just had to keep reminding myself the whole time, like, just go back to what you said before. This isn't your deal. He needs you to be able to relax and do the positions that you need to do to help open your hips and let him move and it's cool that you can't feel your one leg. It's totally fine. <laughs> it's going to come back. Oh man. Oh. So is that um, the main thing you didn't like about it? That lack of sensation or what, what else would you say? I think, I think part of it boils down to some of the fear that I still had, you know, with the epidural came being, you know, hooked up to all of the IVs and the continuous fetal monitoring and you have to be in the bed and I needed help to be able to move, which I think it it just sort of brought up some of that same stuff from our miscarriage experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But again, like in hindsight, I'm totally grateful that it was an option available to us and I honestly don't know if I don't, I don't have any data behind this, but I, I honestly wonder if I had been in the hospital from the get go, if I hadn't been under the care of midwives, if I had been in a different hospital that didn't have a more midwifery based approach in general, would I have ended up with a much more medicalized birth experience? Mm-hmm. Um, because of how long he ultimately took to make his brand appearance. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously there are situations in which that's totally necessary for mom and for baby or both. But um, I think my takeaway was just that you can plan and plan and plan and imagine what your birth's going to look like. And it's going to happen in one day or in a span of hours. And it's going to be straightforward and just like you imagined. But at the end of the day, it was his birth experience just as much, if not more so in some ways 
than mine. And babies are going to come how they plan to come, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and knowing him now too, like my husband, and I say all the time, like, it is so not surprising that he wanted to be as dramatic about this as he could have possibly been. Gosh, isn't that funny how you see bits of, you know, the birth experience or even pregnancy, you know, show up in the personality. That's always, you know, a trippy moment for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are who they are even before they're here, I guess. Yeah. So what was it like when Grayson arrived for you and for Rafe? I, it was like the most incredible blur. I think I remember looking up at Rafe and he, when it was like, finally, I think we were just all so shocked when I was you know, lying there. It's like, I kind of feel like I need to push now. And the midwives and Rafe and I, we all kind of look at each other like, but that's not what we do. We just sit here and are in labor forever. Like, that's not. Right. That's not our story. <laughs> we're not. Yeah. And so then, like, when it was finally happening, like, I didn't end up pushing for that long. He, like, basically just sort of shot himself out into the world. And we're all just kind of looking at each other, like, how could it take you four days? And then just minutes <laughs> to actually show up. Um, and so I think we were just in such a state of shock. And it, some of the the hospital policies were things that we wouldn't have wanted if we were at home. Like, um, because he was 42 weeks, like, they were much more wanting to check him out and make sure everything was okay. And so we ended up having to have the cord cut earlier than I would have hoped for and some things like that. But so there was these like moments of stress of like, but wait, this isn't what we wanted. But he you know, was perfectly healthy and I was perfectly fine. And, you know, here we were after four days, all of a sudden we're parents of this earth side little boy well he wasn't little he was nine and a half pounds but um it was yeah just an incredible blur Hmm. that's amazing i love that wow and now six months six months huh how's how's that (laughs) (laughs) it's i feel like we were so he was such like a calm little guy for so long and now we're getting to the point where he has so many strong opinions about so many things oh yeah um but uh it's just it feels like he's been here forever and for five minutes i Mm -hmm. just it's incredible yeah i guess its own version of an incredible blur like it just keeps continues yeah. it just new versions of the blur <laughs> yeah totally maybe it'll be like that forever maybe that's just what parenthood is yeah maybe <laughs> um gosh allison what i love 
so much. I mean, your entire story, then what I really feel like, we, we talked about this earlier, I think before we hit record, just what it, it comes down to is that you have the option, it's still possible for whoever you are to have a positive birth experience, even when it doesn't exactly go to plan. And you can even acknowledge the moments that you need for yourself. Like you were saying, you kind of look back and you think, what if? Or you had those moments that were, this isn't exactly what we wanted. You can acknowledge all of that. You can have all of the moments to identify, to process, to heal, to be angry, to be frustrated, to mourn, whatever. You can have all of that and still look at it how I believe you're looking at it and what you want to share with other women and and be inspiration of is to have that that positive layer to it that positive air about it yeah definitely I think it for me it, it had been this weird paradox where you know I would listen to I listened to so many birth stories of of women who had home births women who had hospital births etc both on on your podcast and elsewhere while I was pregnant. And I realized that I never listened to someone's birth story and thought of any of those women like, Oh, well that that's kind of like a failure that that turned out that way. I never felt that way. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, when it was me, that door opened. Right. And for whatever reason, I guess I assumed that that's how people would see me and my birth experience, even though I didn't see them and their birth experiences that way, no matter how they had turned out. And it took me a little bit of time in sort of processing and talking to other women and talking to our midwives to realize that no one was looking at me and, and feeling that way or saying those things. That was just something I had put on myself. And when I really thought through, like, why do I think this is a failure? Like he's here, he's healthy. I'm healthy. I'm here. You know, everything that we wanted did happen. The big stuff, Mm -hmm. maybe not the little nitpicky things like when we were, you know, where the birth actually took place, but, or the fact that I didn't end up doing the whole thing without any sort of pain medication. In the grand scheme, those were such small things. Right. And I think once I was sort of able to process through all of that, I realized that all of the things I recognized in other women, the fact that we ultimately have no control over so many aspects of pregnancy and birth in some ways we're just along for the ride while this other human figures out how to come into the world. Mm. And I think once I sort of let that click in and extended that grace to myself, Mm. I realized that positive birth experiences can happen in any context. And that could be the context you planned, or that could be something you didn't plan for. And in one of my follow-up visits, my midwife had said, um, who absolutely did not push me in either direction when we were making the decision to transfer, she totally just answered questions, gave us facts and information, and let us make the choice. 
um, which we had the luxury of doing since we weren't in a, in a high risk situation at all. Um, she said that if you had stayed at home, it's possible that things would have ended great and you would have had a positive memory of your home birth experience, or it's possible that you would have experienced it as a trauma, Mm. even though nothing quote unquote went wrong. Right. Um, you know, your, our bodies can remember trauma in ways that our minds might necessarily not. And maybe four days of back labor would have registered as traumatic. Mm -hmm. Um, but making the decision to transfer ultimately didn't, um, leave us with that feeling about our experience. And, um, yeah, I think that would totally just be what I wanted to communicate to other women that like, we are so much harder on ourselves sometimes than anyone else is going to be on us and giving birth anywhere in any way, like makes you this incredible woman warrior. And that's how people are going to view you. Like not as a failure, no matter how pregnancy or birth turns out. I love your perspective and your message. That is powerful. And, and I'm happy that you said that because I know there's folks out there just like you who listen to all those, the birth stories and they never, they never hear a failure. Yet it's so easy, like you said, when, it, when it's you and things don't go according to your plan, it's easy for that word to slip in. So thank you for just sharing that perspective and, and just for everything. Um, I'm totally inspired. I love it. It's amazing. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. So, yeah, Allison, you're pretty much amazing. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to you um, for just the whole message that you shared and for um, Grayson to be on the call with us a little bit here and there at, at different points. It'll be yeah. funny to listen back and see what points, like maybe it was a highly charged or something. Thing. He's like, <laughs> I have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. It's, yeah. I mean, it's his story, too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you again to, to Grayson and to Rafe and to your whole team. Um, I want to acknowledge them, you know, and how they showed up for you and they were a part of the the story and the creation as well. So um, thanks so much again for joining us. Absolutely. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higg. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.